Well, there's an old joke that goes like this. There was once an older man who was walking along some cliffs. He was looking at the ocean. And he slips and he falls. And he's going to die. But he throws out his hand and miraculously catches a branch. Throwing his gaze to the heavens, he calls desperately, Is anybody up there? And a voice from heaven responds, Yes. Well, who are you? Shouts the man. The voice returns, I'm God and I'm going to save you. Wonderful. Uh, What should I do? Trust me and let go of the branch. I will save you. The man thought about it for a moment, looked back up and said, is anybody else up there? (laughs) This little joke speaks to what is often difficult for us as well. There's moments in our journeys of faith and seasons of our lives that are really difficult and it can be really hard to trust that God is with us, especially when we can't see what the next step is supposed to be. If we're hanging off a cliff, if we've lost a relationship, a job, been let down by a spouse or, or a coworker or a friend, or even those times where we feel like God has let us down. Yet there's something powerful taking place in our lives in these seasons where trusting God is hard. As we continue our Parks and Rec series today, we find ourselves at Yosemite National Park. And I have a picture to show you. Just a moment. Here we go. So history tells us that John Muir and Theodore Roosevelt camped at Yosemite for several days. And it was while they were camping there that President Roosevelt decided to establish the park system in the U.S. It's a gorgeous park. To see the Yosemite Valley in the golden hour prior to sunset from the tunnel view is to experience one of the most sublime vistas in the world. If there's a place that can stir the human conscience to search for traces of the divine presence in a temporal space, it's at this tunnel view overlook. There you see the verdant valley carpeted with the California black oak, ponderosa pine, incense cedar, and white fir, which the Merced River carved out of pure granite. The El Capitan monolith rises 3,500 feet off of the valley floor, reflecting back the orange, red, and purple hues of the waning sunlight. Half Dome rises 4,700 feet above the valley, a misty thread of water teased by the gentle wind, escapes a narrow cleft in the rock and catches fragments of golden light as it tumbles more than 600 feet from Summit Meadow and creates Brideville Fall. As the setting sun floods the valley with its warm light, one simply runs out of adjectives to capture in words or thought this unfolding splendor. And none of this beauty would exist without some extreme flooding, brutal fires and storms that carve out this beautiful, beautiful place. In these extreme to us events, that God's natural creation becomes formed and expands to the beauty can be hard to conceive. With that in mind, will you pray with me? 
God of all creation, as we read your word today, show us what we need to see, teach us what we need to know, and guide us to our next faithful steps as we follow you in this journey of faith. Amen. So our scripture lesson for today comes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 6. On that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and bulwarks as a safeguard. Open the gates so that the righteous nation that maintains faithfulness may enter in. Those of steadfast mind you keep in peace, in peace because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in the Lord God you have an everlasting rock. For he has brought low the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city he lays low. He lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. This is the word of the Lord. So this passage from Isaiah is, is truly profound. This hymn of praise was written when all was not well with Israel. The Assyrians had conquered the bulk of the territory of Israel on both sides of the Jordan. And finding themselves once more driven from their homeland, in this passage they're praising God regardless of those circumstances. In fact, they claim the peace that comes with trusting in God, calling God an everlasting rock. Like an earthquake, a flash flood, or a wildfire, Israel's stable world is being carved up and formed into something new. And instead of crying out to God for rescue, they demonstrate their trust in God by praising Him. We see here through Israel's example that those who trust God have the peace of God. It's a choice. And no, they hadn't read Jesus' words in Matthew where he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. No, it seems that Israel is actually demonstrating a mature faith a seasoned faith that through time and experience has grown their trust in God's faithfulness. And it's unique because so often Israel makes me feel better about my faith journey because they're remembered as the people who always forget. And yet here they are remembering what God has done for them, remembering what God has given them, remembering that God is with them. And so that presents an invitation to us as we consider our relationship with God and how we trust Him. As we, like Israel, often forgetting God's faithfulness, especially when things are hard, we, we lose sight of God's faithfulness to us over the years. We're prone actually more to just go into stress mode uh, when things are hard. It's been said that depression is the result of living in the past. And that anxiety is when we're trying to live in an unknown future, but it's actually when we are present that we find peace, present with today. When John Cavanaugh, who was a noted and famous ethicist and Jesuit philosopher, went to Calcutta, he was seeking Mother Teresa, 
and more. He went for three months to work at the house of the dying to find out how best he could spend the rest of his life. When he met Mother Teresa, he asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for? She replied. He then uttered the request he had carried thousands of miles. Clarity. Pray that I have clarity. No, Mother Teresa answered. I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh said, when Kavanaugh said that, she always seemed, that she always seemed to have clarity, the very kind of clarity he was looking for, Mother Teresa laughed and said, I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. What Mother Teresa testifies to here in this story is so similar to the wisdom gained from Israel in our text today. It is again that sense of matured Christian faith that when faced with opposition turns to a deep and beautiful trust in God. See, trusting God doesn't mean that bad and hard things will no longer happen in our lives. We can be tricked to think that that trust will dispel confusion and illuminate the darkness and vanquish the uncertainty and redeem the times. But this isn't the case. Our trust does not bring final clarity on this earth. It does not stop the chaos or dull the pain or provide a crutch. When all is unclear, the heart of trust says what Jesus did on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God is inviting us to entrust and commit our spirits and our whole lives into God's hands. When asked about trusting God, spiritualist Brennan Manning said this, I have not said in my heart, God exists, until I have said, I trust in you, God. He says the decisive conversation from mistrust to trust A conversation that must be renewed daily is the moment of sovereign deliverance from the warehouse of worry. I love that phrase. (laughs) Trusting God is the sovereign deliverance from the warehouse of worry. It bids good riddance to unhealthy guilt, shame, remorse, and even self-hatred. So when I was 21, I married my college sweetheart we immediately began trying to have children. After three years of trying to get pregnant, we saw a specialist who revealed to us that we would likely not be able to have children. This was really hard news and ultimately led to the end of our marriage. As my marriage ended, so did the dream of having children. This earthquake in my life burned deeply as a wildfire burns uncontrollably in a dry forest. I was truly devastated. Starting the single life again at 25, I truly believed deep in my heart that I would never have children, let alone get married again. My plan was to go to seminary, get ordained, and hope to get a call to a small rural church in Montana or someplace beautiful like that. (laughs) I'd preach, eat Trader Joe's every day, (laughs) do congregational care, go fishing every day, for the rest of my life. Not a bad plan. 
I buried my hopes and dreams deeply below my own surface and worked hard to be content with my new lot. But then, three years ago, later, along came Sally. And in and through her, God said yes to everything that life had said no to. With Sally came a new marriage, and three years later, our first child. And then two years later, our second. Praise God for IVF and the miracle of new life. My desire for the rural single life quickly died (laughs) as it actually had no roots in my heart. And the seeds of hope for marriage and children, to be loved and to love a family with my whole life and heart broke through the surface like a Texas wildflower in spring. See, God knows what he's doing. God is in control. God stands beyond the limitations of time and space. God is overwhelmingly loving. God is so trustworthy. God is able to do so much more than we can ever ask or even imagine. To illustrate this this great story from St. Augustine, one day he was pondering a difficult doctrinal dilemma and he was walking on the beach just thinking about God. And as he walked, he came up to a kid who was digging a hole in the sand. And he saw the kid digging the hole, and then he saw the kid run to the beach shore and and get water and run back, and back and forth he went. So eventually, Augustine went up to this kid and said, what are you doing? The kid said, I'm emptying the ocean into my hole, sir. Augustine chuckled, turned, and walked back up the beach. As he walked, the truth began to dawn on him. He had spent his day doing the same thing, trying to contain an infinite God in his own finite mind. Earthquakes, floods, and wildfires form and shape this world's most beautiful geographical features. They're inconvenient for those that wish to travel and see them while they're being disrupted by natural forces, but in time, The scars left by a flood reveal a new valley, more beautiful and lush than the one before it. And though Israel had just lost their land, their capital city, and been exiled, they still worshiped and praised God. Their matured walk with God over time and through generations had taught them that they can trust God, even when life seems unbearably cruel. And though we see clarity in our lives that we will never find because only God is all-knowing, we can have peace today that comes with trusting God with our lives by doing what Jesus did and committing our lives, our spirits into God's hands. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. I'm going to end with this story. It may be familiar to some of you. I hope it is. Horatio Spafford knew something about life's unexpected challenges. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire in 1871. Around the same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. 
Thinking a vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. However, while crossing the Atlantic, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that began, saved, alone. What shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. At one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of the tragedy that had struck the Spafford family summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. As Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind. He wrote them down, and they have since become a well-beloved hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen.